Hi, this is Stuart Weems and welcome to the Investopoly podcast. My goal is to give you simple, easy to understand strategies, insights and tips to help you master the game of building wealth. And before I get started into this episode, I just want to thank everyone that leaves a rating and review wherever they listen to this podcast. It is very, very helpful in terms of the podcast's performance and rankings. And obviously, the more people that listen, the the better. In fact, I received the 200th rating more recently, and the average star rating is 4.9. So, uh, obviously, I'm doing something right, and uh, and if you share that same opinion, please do leave a, a rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts. Okay, so let's get into this week's uh, episode then, and what I really want to talk about is developing a... Uh, ...rather than working to maximise financial outcomes... And it's uh, something that I've noticed uh, increasing over time and certainly a remarkable increase uh, since the beginning of COVID. Uh, Maybe we've got more time on our hands to think about these issues and uh, to really reflect on life and consider uh, whether what we're doing is resonating with us. I'm not sure what it is, but I'm certainly having a lot more conversations with uh, prospective clients uh, that are in a position where they're earning a very good income but not necessarily really connecting with the work. And so uh, there is a growing number of people that really want to choose work for, let's call it emotional rewards or satisfaction, rather than just focusing on financial rewards. And of course, that can look like many different things, including uh, working for the not-for-profit sector, uh, maybe working in industry or for an employer that's a little bit more socially conscious, Uh, or starting their own business and and doing something for themselves. But often the key theme is having the flexibility to do something else, uh, and that something else could mean earning a lower income, uh, and of course then uh, we'll have financial consequences and we need to build a plan to allow them to do that. Now, of course, not everyone can um, uh, immediately just go and hand in their resignation tomorrow and say, okay, I'm going to take a, a much lower job because I've, I'm connecting with it. Of course, there's lots of considerations, you know, your current financial commitments, all those sorts of things. But uh, it, it certainly gives rise to an opportunity to build a plan to execute on that, whether that is something in the shorter term or uh, something that's more medium term. And so what I wanted to do is discuss some of the sort of common considerations or matters that uh, that we need to um, address when when formulating that sort of advice. But before I do that, it's probably um, very important to point out that there's kind of three phases, if you like, um, in regards to wealth accumulation. And each of those phases will have a different reliance on earned income or personal exertion income, you know, your your job, that sort of stuff, rather than just passive income. That's what I'm sort of talking about. And so it's important to understand what those three stages look like because it then helps inform us to some degree about what a strategy might look like uh, in order to give us that income flexibility. So the first stage is really the accumulation stage. And that stage, it's really about accumulating enough quantum of assets and mixture of assets uh, in order to be able to fund retirement. Now, uh, that could include investing in property, of course, making additional super contributions, um, investing surplus cash flow in shares, uh, borrowing to invest, lots of different things. 
And the amount that you need uh, is going to be different for everyone, of course, depending on their starting position. Uh, but it's really, that's the whole point of planning is to work out, you know, what sort of assets do I need to accumulate? Um, do I need to go and buy 10 investment properties or will two be enough, for example? Uh, and this accumulation phase uh, really does require you to maximise your um, personal exertion income, so your employment income, uh, and minimise your expenses. Therefore, uh, or thereby, I should say, freeing up enough cash flow to really contribute as much as possible um, towards those assets. The second phase uh, is where you can, and let's call that phase income flexibility if you like, but the aim of that phase, the second phase, is to allow your investments to do the work uh, and to really enjoy the, the power of compounding capital growth. So in this uh, income flexibility phase, or it's really kind of a bit of a holding pattern if you like, um, uh, the, the goal is to earn enough income. Uh, so that you can pay for expenses and maintain your investment portfolio, which would mostly mean um, dealing with any negative cash flow from investment properties, uh, if, if you do have any at that stage, um, but mostly uh, repaying or paying for uh, living expenses. And the point in that sort of holding pattern phase is that you're not um, eating into your assets yet. You're not taking any of the income. Everything's been reinvested. Everything's compounding. Um, and you're, you're uh, no longer a burden or you're not yet uh, a burden on that asset pool like you will be in retirement, which is a great segue because that's the third phase, of course, where there's no um, reliance on earned income or personal exertion income. Uh, in fact, in retirement, of course, uh, and I'm certainly not telling anyone anything that I don't already know, but you're funding your entire living expenses from uh, your asset pool. Uh, so therefore, if what you'd like to do is to have some income flexibility, what you need to do is really focus on accelerating that first stage. So investing as much as you possibly can, as fast as you possibly can. Actually, I shouldn't say as much as you possibly can. It should be investing as much as you need to, uh, according to your plan, as fast as you can. And I guess it's a bit of a, you know, to, to use a kind of analogy, if you like, it's kind of a less aggressive uh, kind of FIRE strategy. Now, FIRE is an acronym that stands for uh, Financial Independence Retire Early, F-I-R-E, of course. Uh, and the idea behind FIRE is that you absolutely must minimise your expenses to the absolute base level, um, earn as much as you can, and there, thereby allowing you to save and invest as much as you can so you can retire a lot earlier than what a traditional strategy would allow. So um, in these circumstances, people might be earning $200,000, they'll spend $30,000 a year, not actually have any life. Uh, invest the balance and hopefully, you know, maybe retire in their early 30s or something like that. Anyway, just Google FIRE, financial independence, retire early. There's a lot on uh, on the web a about it. Um, as a little bit of a sidebar, you know, I guess m my personal philosophy is that no one really knows how long we've got left on this planet. So it's great to have a strategy where I can work hard and save hard for the next 10 years. Um, but obviously, it's premised on the the the, the um, assumption uh, that I'm going to live for 10 years, and in fact, that I will live uh, much longer than 10 years in good health. 
so I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't save for tomorrow, of course, that's not what I'm saying, but um, uh, saving everything for tomorrow also doesn't doesn't really resonate with me, but, you know, different things for different people, so it's fine. Anyway, coming back to the analogy, I guess uh, the approach to give yourself income flexibility is like a less aggressive version of FIRE, which is really um, save hard, invest hard, Uh, for a period of time, which might be, say, anywhere from 5 to 15 years. Once you've done that, uh, then you're in a position where you can reduce your income uh, because you've got an investment portfolio sort of bubbling along behind the scenes uh, and just earn enough money to pay for your living expenses so you don't need to eat into any of that investment capital. Uh, That period of time could be another, say, 5 to 15 years because, of course, depends on your goals and, and your age and so forth. Uh, and then uh, by the time hopefully you get close to 60, uh, whether that's mid-50s mid or 60, uh, you can then start eating into that asset pool. But the whole point is that you've gone through that acquisition stage and then you've let the investments, you've given the investments enough time, a decade or maybe two, to really benefit from that compounding capital growth whilst at the same time uh, not necessarily having to go out and maximise your income uh, and then you kind of transition into retirement. And by the way, the whole idea around income flexibility could be that you do really resonate with the work that you're doing, but you don't want to do it five days a week. You know, so you want to have that flexibility to have, to go down to part-time and work three days a week, for example, whatever it might be, but it's really about building a plan around that fact. And in fact, there's some people that will already have enough asset base in order to do that tomorrow. Um, uh, but no one really knows until you put a plan together and you see how it all works out. So, you know, some people in their 50s might be slogging out um, in a job that they either don't enjoy or doing a level of work that they don't enjoy, uh, and they might actually already be in the position where they can wind that back. But as I said, until you sort of financially model it out, uh, you're really uh, flying blind in terms of not having a, a good plan. So let's then talk about, you know, some of the considerations, the sort of common considerations that we or that we come across when um, formulating plans that give our clients a little bit of flexibility in the future around earned income. And of course, you know, these are, uh, are generalizations. So please keep that in mind. Of course, everyone's situation is different. Everyone's goals are unique and so forth. Uh, So the first, uh, I guess, observation is you must start as soon as possible. I think beginning your investment journey is always urgent, but if you want to have that uh, period of time where you're um, contributing less towards your investments or maybe nothing at all during that kind of holding pattern, that that second stage, uh, then you really need to start that first stage uh, even sooner than you might otherwise would. Uh, And there really are no shortcuts to or substitute for benefiting from the impact of compounding returns. And it really just needs time. Uh, It makes me laugh, actually, one of Warren Buffett's quotes. uh, He says, and I quote, No matter how great the talent or efforts, uh, some things just take time. You can't produce a baby in one month by getting nine women pregnant. Uh, And really... Uh, compounding capital growth just requires time and patience and the discipline not to fiddle with uh, investments or or over fiddle I guess with investments as well and just sit with sit with them and let the the quality of the investments uh, uh, do their work over time the second observation is that and particularly if you're just starting out uh, there's a good chance you're going to have to be more aggressive than what you traditionally would be 
um, because obviously the goal is to try and accumulate that asset pool as fast as you possibly can. And when I talk about being aggressive, I'm not talking about being stupid and throwing darts at a dartboard. Um, but what I'm saying is relative to a, a traditional long-term financial strategy, you might have to be prepared to take slightly higher risk, which could include borrowing a little bit more than you otherwise would, um, or investing in higher risk asset classes like emerging markets, private equity, small cap stocks, uh, those sorts of things. Again, not your whole portfolio, but you know, having a greater skew towards those higher risk, higher return sort of sectors. Um, but of course, you should take higher risk, but not too high a risk. Um, as I said, we're not. I'm not talking about um, um, taking massive punts or anything like that. Of course, at the same time, you should look at ways to mitigate your risk and such as adopting evidence-based approach, making sure you're formulating debt repayment exit strategies, you know, plan B, plan C, not putting all your eggs in one basket, all those sorts of things. So, you know, a, a good independent financial planner can sort of walk you through, uh, I guess, those considerations. Uh, the next observation is that you can't be too super focused. You know, if you want to have the flexibility to reduce working hours, uh, even to the point where you might kind of semi-retire, if you like. So some of your income will come from investments and some or the remaining portion will come from uh, working. If that's the case and you want to achieve that before you're age 60, then you're going to need enough liquid assets outside of super. Uh, so either assets that are going to generate a good income stream or assets that are liquid enough so that you can progressively sell them down to supplement living expenses. Now, that's not residential property, of course, because residential property tends to have a relatively low income. Then you've got interest and in all property expenses. What you're left over with isn't that substantial unless you've got a, a substantial amount of equity or a substantial property portfolio. Uh, whereas shares start to meet or tick more of those boxes, I think. But, you know, don't be too focused. Don't ignore super, but also don't be too focused. The next observation I talk about is there's less room for error. You know, if you're in your 30s and you're happy to work till 60, uh, then you've got really 30 odd years to build wealth. And uh, since that you're going to retire at 60, then super is going to play a big role in your retirement. Well, over the next 30 years, chances are that you're going to, if you do well, if you invest your super well, choose the right fund and so forth, uh, the chances are you're going to have a, a pretty large super balance. And so even if you made a couple of mistakes in your 30s and 40s, for example, you've got enough time, there's enough runway to sort of course correct and make up for it. However, if you're in your 30s and you'd like the flexibility to reduce uh, your income by the time you reach kind of mid, late 40s, maybe early 30s, 50s, whatever it might be, there's less tolerance, there's less room to make mistakes. So you really do have to make sure you get it right. Um, and in that regard, of course, I've got a vested interest in saying it, but of course, the best way to avoid making mistakes is lend someone else's experience uh, that has seen, made, or or knows of all the mistakes that, or common mistakes that people make, uh, and really that is the best way to kind of mitigate risk. So just be mindful if that's your strategy. Then I would argue that there's a greater need for independent professional financial advice than maybe in a traditional um, sort of situation where someone's got a really long runway before they're ready for retirement. And the last observation is uh, equity in the family home. So if you uh, expect to have, or you do have, or you expect to have substantial equity in your home, 
uh, it's possible you might be able to use that equity to develop a strategy that gives you more flexibility around um, income in the future. So of course that could include selling the family home either now or in the future uh, and then relocating either downsizing in the same area in terms of value and accommodation size or relocating to an area and spending less uh, and then investing that difference and helping uh, that equity sort of fund uh, your retirement. Now I only mention this of course because it's it tends to or quite often fits in with people's lifestyle goals. So people might but might be of the mind to say, look, you know, when the kids finish school and they're out of the house, we're going to sell our big family home in the city and then we want to have a, t- a, a, a tree change or a sea change. Uh, and if that's the case, sometimes you're going to be in a situation where you're going to pull equity out of the home um, and then that could uh, help help meet those other goals like, Um, having a little bit of flexibility on how much income uh, you need to earn uh, in the future. So something to really think about. Of course, there's lots of of considerations and I've only mentioned a a few here today, but I guess the overarching theme is the whole point of um, financial planning is to uh, determine what your lifestyle goals are and develop a plan on how to achieve them. Um, and the traditional sort of uh, approach to planning, you know, over the last few decades has been kind of, oh, well, I'll go and get myself a job slash career, I'll work in that role until I'm 60, 65, and then I'll retire. And that's fine if it suits your lifestyle goals, and that's perfect. Uh, but if you really are doing work that you're not really connecting with, then that's where I think uh, some financial planning adds even more value Uh, Because then you can really work out, okay, what do I really want to do with my life? Um, And then how can I use my assets and resources uh, now, today, so that I prepared myself for in the future to give myself that flexibility? If I can't achieve it today, you know, you can work out a plan of when you can achieve it. And it's just interesting, I find it really interesting that it's happening or it's happened a lot more uh, often over the last 18 months. And maybe, you know, people being stuck at home in lockdown Uh, particularly in Melbourne with such an extended lockdown period, uh, people are really reflecting on their lives and and, uh, where they're allocating their time. Anyway, that's it for me for this week. Uh, Until next week, bye for now.